Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined from the state of New York himself, mm. Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, st- I'm still good. I'm still in pain, but uh, I have an air conditioner now. I hope you can't hear it in the background. If you can hear it in the background, please complain to me at Brandon Thurston on Twitter. Uh, I have some window blinds now. I have some degree of privacy. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about... What are we going to talk about today, Chris, that we haven't already talked about? Well, today's going to be an NXT conference, Triple mm-hmm. H. you got a lot of comments there, which I think have a strong WrestleNomics pull. Yeah. Uh, the comments on the business. We're going to talk a little bit about Dian- Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson's uh, contract situation. And uh, we're going to touch on some lawsuits. The yeah. Colt Cabana, CM Punk lawsuit, and the Jeff Jarrett lawsuit that was just filed against GFW. I'm sorry, GFW against uh, Impact. That's right. And uh, we, we did a great breakdown of the Colt Punk lawsuit in last week's premium show. But a lot of you free freeloaders haven't heard it. So I'm going to break it down one more time with maybe a little bit more information than I learned this week. And Double J still finds some value in that in that Global Force Gold. <laughs> you bet. But uh, we are excited. Of course, WrestleNomics Radio is a free show produced every week and a premium show produced every week. Yeah. The premium show is available at WrestleNomics.com. You uh, sign up $5 a month, and that gets you access to all of the audio we've ever done and the the copious amount of notes we take. You, you joked we should call it the WrestleNomics Magazine. Yeah. We should get some more images in there. And it, it, sometimes, sometimes when, when we do a lot, it does look kind of like a magazine. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. It lo- looks like what, what a kid today probably thinks a magazine looks like who's never seen one. Yeah, you just scroll through it. That's that's what they think, these kids today. <laughs> There's always those pictures of toddlers trying to scroll a magazine because they, they've never seen they, – they think it's an oh, iPad. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so the – other thing, we, we have some exciting no- news for all you WrestleNomics fans. This is not a, a premium piece of news. This is for all, even the plebeians like you. Uh, exciting news that all in weekend, Mookie and Brandon will be there in person, in the flesh, live. Uh, and we'll be doing a live taping of WrestleNomics Radio. September 2nd, Podcast Movement Westwood 1 stage. That's at the StarCast Hotel. Mm-hmm. So that's the Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, on Sunday, September 2nd, so the day after the All-In Show from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., uh, that's going to be WrestleNomics recording live. And this event is free. It's open to the public. You don't need a StarCast uh, a ticket. You don't need a Starcade ticket. You don't even need a, a All-In ticket. You can just show up to the, the lobby and listen to a bunch of grown men yeah. sit around and talk on microphones. You don't even have to be a WrestleNomics subscriber. No, no. And in fact, it does help to be a Voices of Wrestling fan, though, because coming up right after us from 1130 a.m. through 1 p.m., it's going to be Rich Krejci from the Voices of Wrestling doing a solo show. And in fact, we might even just combine it all into a mega show, 10 a.m., 1 p.m., uh, three hours of, of Voices of Wrestling, where you'll talk about basketball stats. Uh, we'll talk about veganism and socialism. We'll mm. talk about magic tricks and the movie Willow. And uh, anything else that can come to mind between these three hosts that have nothing to do with the art of professional wrestling. What do you think of that? Sounds good. Socialism we're going to talk about, too, huh? Well, I don't know. I figured I was trying to think of Brandon Howard subjects. Oh, that I, are we, are we going to talk about the brotherhood of wrestling? I don't think that one's going to come up. That sounds too close to the, the art of pro wrestling. But uh, I think the rest of it will be fun. So who knows what's going to happen? 10 a.m. to 1130 a.m. Uh, on Sunday, September 2nd. Uh, you can check out the WrestleNomics area. 
plus the day before, go from Saturday, 10 a.m. to 11.30. That's going to be the post-wrestling guys, uh, John Pollock, Wei Ting. Uh, they'll be fun to see them. Uh, and then, of course, I'm, I think we're going to try to go to the uh, Observer Q&A that weekend. We're going to obviously go to All In. Mm-hmm. And then who who knows what other fun things might be happening. If you're a Voices of Wrestling fan, which I hope you are, since uh, we are part of their podcasting network, they're doing, I think, even a meetup that weekend, maybe at the Gameworks or something there. So if you want to play Pac-Man and awkwardly talk to people about o- Okada's hair, we can do that together. Yes. It's red right now, I think. I think it is. Yeah. So uh, this first thing we're going to do is the NXT conference. Did you watch any of the NXT show last last night, Brandon? I watched a great deal of it. I had it on the background as I was preparing these notes. And while I was on the road, I even caught the uh, the finish of Kyrie Sane and Shayna Baszler. Uh, I, didn't I see something else, too? I think I, I saw parts of EC3 and uh, Velveteen, Velveteen Dream. Yeah. I had the main I event thought- on while I was doing the, the notes. Yeah. I have not seen the main event. I saw the first matches, though. Uh, I thought the tag match was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed EC3 and Velveteen Dream, especially Velveteen Dream's uh, Rolling Dream Driver. Mm. I think he does a great job with that. And the tights, uh, the Velveteen Dream tights, call me up, Vince. I loved that. I thought that was tremendous. And uh, the the Kerry Sane-Baszler match uh, was a great change of pace. And the, the foot submission work they did was sick. That mm. was just, oh... That looks so painful. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed the finish a lot. And and everything I heard about the main event was tremendous. Uh, uh, truth be told, my wife came home and we turned on the Great British Baking Show and watched the finals of that instead. So. <laughs> you, 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 she didn't want to watch um, the last man standing match, the, the third and kind of unnecessary match between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. You know, uh we would have. She would have been fine with it. But I, I could also tell that she'd probably like to watch the the finals of the Great British Baking Show. So very, very one. diplomatic of you. Yeah. Then we watched Trial and Error. Uh, season two is killing it. Very much enjoying that as well. Mm. So, what well, we're not going to talk about NXT the show. We're going to talk about NXT the conference calls. There's now a pre NXT conference call and a post NXT conference call. Yeah. Which uh, uh, I appreciate. Uh, again, anything that I wouldn't even say brings credibility. To wrestling, but brings the atmosphere of a big event to wrestling. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be that it's it's a sports thing because you know what? Movies have press releases, right? Movies do Q and A's, press conferences, yeah, yeah, press conferences, yeah. So it's not that it has to be that it's a sports thing. Other forms of media where the the outcome is predetermined still talk to people about what they're doing and how they got to that point. So there's nothing lost by wrestling beginning to adopt some of these same same functions. Welcome to tell Vince that. So I just want to make it clear. It's not a sports thing necessarily. It's a, a exposure thing. It's a discussion yeah. thing. It's an engagement thing. And yeah. I like that. Yes. So what did what did we learn in the post NXT conference, the pre NXT conference? What are we going to talk about first? I'm going to talk about the post NXT conference first. Just a, just a few notes from that. Uh, Triple H said that that this event, this TakeOver Brooklyn number four, was the highest grossing TakeOver ever. Hmm. Um, so uh, beating out the, the the famous Brooklyn sellouts, uh, was it sold out last night? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to pull up Wikipedia and see if they said that it was or wasn't, but you can continue on. Yeah. So there's that. And uh, Triple H says we're a long way from developmental. Uh, I mean, clearly this, you know, NXT has turned into its own touring brand that uh you know you can make various arguments and slice and dice the numbers in in, in a number of ways 
which include a lot of numbers that aren't public to, to talk about whether or not NXT really makes money, is really profitable, or whether it's research and development or whatever it is, but it's it's its own brand, according to Triple H. It's its own, uh, it's, its own wrestling brand. It's its own part of the company. So if um, these numbers are true, mm. who knows if they are or not, but if they are true, they've actually gone down every year. So attendance year one, 2015, 15,589, and that was for uh, – Baylor, Kevin Owens, and more famously, uh, Bailey Sasha Banks, mm-hmm. uh, Samoa Joe versus Baron Corbin. Yeah, I mean, Bar- Barclays Paula doesn't Cruz hold – Bar- Barclays with that configuration is not holding 15,000. I think it's really like 13,000, but go yeah. on. Yeah. And that was the year that Liger wrestled Tyler Breeze. Yeah. Uh, and I, I skipped one match. I might as well mention it. The Vaudevillians versus Blake and Murphy mm. was also on that show. The next year – so it was 15,589. The next year, it was 15,671. So it went up by, they found like 20 more seats. And that was Nakamura Joe, Oscar Bailey, Revival DIY, Rude Almas, Ember Moon, Billy Kay, Aries No Way Jose, you know, a lot of good stuff. I was in attendance for uh, that. And you were, you were there that time. So you were one of those 20 people. Uh, the third year, it was 15,275, so it dropped by about 500 people. And that was Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Roode, Asuka Ember Moon, Alistair Black, Hideo Tommy, Sanity versus uh, Authors of Pain, and Almas versus Gargano. Mm-hmm. And then this year, the one that was the highest grossing one ever, like you said, 14,896. Yeah. So about 400 people less. Uh, but that is obviously uh, a Champa Gargano, Kari Sane, Shayna Baszler, uh, Ricochet, Adam Cole, uh, Velvet Dream, EC3, and uh, uh, Undisputed Era, Mustache Mountain. And yes, I actually forgot to mention the, the Ricochet versus Adam Cole match. Very good. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It, it Ricochet jumps so high, it looks like he's going to overshoot even when he's doing some absurd thing where you have to jump a very far distance to get to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I very, that was enjoyable as well, but yeah, that was, um, uh, uh, but most profitable. And again, a lot of people will say, Oh, look at the secondary market. Look at all these tickets. WWE doesn't care. They already got those tickets sold. They have a deal with stuff of anyway. They might be a piece of that secondary market. Anyhow, of the third sale for that thing, the third or fourth, 17th time you want to resell that ticket, they'll get a piece of it. Yeah. That's probably not being counted in the gross, but. Well, technically, it shows up as part of their live event fees. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's in the other category of live events. And almost surely, it's not something that they reconcile on a day-to-day basis. I'm guessing that's more like, you know, once a month, StubHub sends yeah. a check. Yeah. Triple H said that Matt Riddle has matured and he is ready for NXT. Of course, Matt Riddle appeared, as many others who are about to make their debut in NXT appear in the front row of a takeover. Matt wearing Riddle, sandals, though. Yes, wearing some uh, sports flip-flops and a suit and a baseball cap uh, he was there he waved to the crowd got a bro chant going triple h says, says he has matured and is ready for nxt and w thinks which it's I, the right time which i think is carney for uh we're afraid we're about to lose him and he was gonna mm, sign mm, in japan yeah by, by the way all these notes i'm, I'm taking from uh, fightful's twitter account so thanks to them um yeah and of, of course when we talk about matt riddle you know, there's the, the marijuana thing, and uh, is he gonna? You know, it's it's what twenty five hundred dollars every time you test positive for marijuana. There's no other uh, consequence other than that. You can test positive as many times as you want, as long as you pay that the the weed tax, as it's sometimes called. As long as you pay that tax, we know that 
we know that that's for the main roster. Mm. It, we don't really know what an NXT contract fine is. Yeah, very little transparency on their their drug testing policy. Although they do they do have the policy itself. I mean, as far as the policy is transparent, the policy document itself is transparent and, and public. But though I don't know whether that that policy applies to NXT people. Exactly the the schedule or the test results are very opaque to to outsiders. Yeah, and and we we do know that there's a difference between an NXT contract and a WWE contract. Mm-hmm. You know, an NXT contract, for instance, I I've heard things like travel is paid for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, whereas WWE, it's not, and so it's not the same contract document that you're signing. Yeah. Uh, you do get a, I, th- I think you do get a separate offer to come up and work for WWE, Maine. And I don't know what the NXT offer is because I'm sure the NXT offer has all sorts of things in it about, you know, you're expected to be at the, at NXT on your days that you're not on the road. So, whereas so the, WWE does not expect you to be somewhere when you're not on the road. Yeah. And in, in the, the, the stories we've heard is that if they, if you're in NXT, but they call you up like short term to do a quick spot on a, on a raw or something, they pay your expenses. Whereas if you're a normal contracted raw wrestler, you pay your own expenses, but you get paid more because they change your contract. They change your salary or something. Um, and and in fact, I've even heard rumors that sometimes guys get both contracts going, ooh. and they will get paid. They they will basically get their main roster pay, but they get the NXT benefits. Ooh, that that sounds like the ideal position to be in. Well, um, but it makes sense because I'm imagining a lot of times when they're calling people up, it's also very close to the end of their NXT renewal cycle. Mm. So it okay. it might also be something where they're saying, hey. We have to come up with a decision on this person's contract, and it probably makes sense for us just to try to get them moved over. Mm-hmm. But there's also been stories of guys going on the road or even being on TV, and they're not yet "quote unquote" signed. Yeah, but but back to drug testing, which is one of, one of my favorite subjects. My, my understanding is that they drug test people at TV tapings, so like Raw and SmackDown. Um, but do they test people who are in NXT or who are in the Performance Center? I don't know. So. Just, just do all the steroids you want in NXT? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I will say someone like Ethan Carter III has an incredible body for a guy who works for a company that supposedly tests for steroids. He's in great shape. Absolutely. So, so Jinder 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 Mahal's in great shape, too. Jinder Mahal's in great shape. Yep, I agree. I, I'm just, I'm trying not to mince my words here. I don't want people to mistake what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you don't. You, we're I, not trying to have a Dave moment. I'm not here. trying to say something that would be defaming or lib- libelous to these people either. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to say that is my connection. Is that I am surprised that someone can have a body that looks that way in a company that tests for steroids, unless they are somehow getting that body naturally, or they're able to maintain that physique and avoid testing consequences. Yeah. I, I think it would be in the interest of fairness if there was more transparency. I don't know. I'm actually wearing my USADA shirt today. <laughs> it just so happens. But uh, I, I wish there was more transparency around like how often people were tested, when they were tested. I mean, USADA goes so far as to that you can go online and go in their database and see every time they tested a given UFC fighter. Uh, we just you don't know, know actually, what's going right? on in WWE. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you talk a little bit else about the other comments uh, he had? And I'm going to look up Brock Lesnar's latest. Uh, USADA, how many times he's been tested or yeah. if he's been tested yet. Go for it. And, yeah, and that's another thing. Like part-timers, are they WB part-timers? Are they ever tested at all? According to a, you know, 
what was it, a, a testimony that, that Vince McMahon made to a congressional subcommittee, part-timers aren't tested. It's not for that. He kind of, he basically said it, it's not intended. It's for people who are younger and who are there full time. So he was saying that he himself, Vince McMahon is not drug tested and others who are not full time performers are not drug tested. So the, yeah. So the implication so I get this, is that this indicates this, this indicates that Brock Lesnar in the year 2018 has been tested three times. Did he pass? Whereas in 2017, he was not tested at all. Yeah. And in in earlier years, in fact, you know, technically, I, I don't know if he ever got tested by USADA because he was grandfathered in through his other contract and it was he failed the New York State test. Maybe it was also USADA. No, he was he was drug tested by USADA. It was USADA when, when in 2016. Yeah, and we tested positive twice for clomiphene. Yes, it shows that he tested eight times uh, in the year 2016. Yeah, and, he was and, tested. and twice he tested positive, I believe. For, but, yeah. for so 2018, he's at three so far, and uh, let's. Just, I wonder if Ronda is still. Is, is Ronda still in the uh, the testing pool? That's what I'm trying to figure yeah. out. Uh, it doesn't look that way. Yeah, it says Ronda J. Rousey was last tested in 2016. She had nine tests, mm-hmm. and she has not been tested since 2016. Mm-hmm. But but Lesnar uh, in his WTV appearances lately looks looks uh, more cut, thinner. Yeah, so perhaps uh, anything he was taking while under WWE contract, he is no longer taking. But we will find out. Um, what else is, is comments here? You talked about the if you messed up. Triple H said, wrestlers need to be great people on top of talented. If you're going to mess up my locker room, I don't want you here, he said. I, don't, I think I, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think Ron, that's... Vince McMahon is only going to hire the highest caliber of people for his XFL. It's all about the quality of the human being, you see. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think that's a point that, uh, you know, it's, it's not news. But I think that's a point that, uh, you know, a lot of developing wrestlers need to keep in mind is that it's not just about how great of a performer you are, wrestler, promo, even character entrance. They also want people who are going to go to a school and be great at talking to kids. And and, and not social... and not give the, the and social media and not giving the, the company, you know, a black uh, guy. And I got to tell you, that has a longer reach than I ever thought it would. Um, what I mean by that is that I've heard people be negative on wrestlers and be like, well, a couple of years ago, they said this really homophobic thing on their Twitter mm. and I don't want them here. Cause I think it's going to reflect badly on my company. Mm. And part of me just says, well, they didn't work for you a couple of years ago. That's their thing. And they, they have to answer for that if someone brings it up, yeah. but I don't think that should be a reason you stay away from them. But on the flip side, it's up to you. If you think I don't want to, deal with this person i don't want to put my brand with this person's equity that's fine that's totally your choice too so but i was surprised that i i hear that more than i thought i would from people mm-hmm. um i, I, I guess the, the briscoes are an example of that there was the what jay briscoe's tweet about uh gay marriage being legalized in in his home state of delaware and he was he tweeted his his unhappiness about that and he was going to shoot somebody it's about that yeah uh, no, it's it's a big deal. So I, I just think it's something that more and more, like they say, you have to be teaching these. And there was actually a really good article about that, about um, I think it was some some uh, college players uh, looking to get up. And they were just saying how they are more and more being scrutinized for their social media 
and and being challenged to say think what are you going to do when someone's going to come back and bring these things that you wrote it was a, it was a, it was the pitcher it was the uh, baseball player who was being who they brought up his old social media account and the the offensive things he had said and that that's more and more an issue now for when you're making decisions about whether to sign professional athletes especially the people on the cusp yeah i th- i think we should start thinking about social media i don't know maybe in general as like these social media platforms are like media publication sites less than they are like this, I don't know, this decentralized wild west, like just people are doing whatever. I think the users and the people who, who manage the, the platforms themselves should start thinking about these things more like their, their publication websites. Like, you know, you've, you've got all these people and anybody can go on them and, and do whatever they want on them. But uh, I think there's responsibility on both sides for, Again, both the users and the companies themselves, the social media companies themselves. Talk to me about the pre-NXT TakeOver Media Conference. What were some of the things you heard? So Triple H, they, it seemed that he was being asked, and it was by, by Meltzer, being asked about the possibility of NXT is going to show up on FS1. And uh, and I, I can actually listen to this right on uh, YouTube. You can. Flightful's got a, a YouTube link for it for the entire uh, the entire pre-NXT TakeOver conference call, which happened on the 15th of August. But it's audio only? It is audio, audio only, yeah. yeah Did yeah. they do hand puppets? No, we're, go- we're going to do hand puppets, though, okay. on, on, a, so on an extra premium tier of, of uh, WrestleNomics on Patreon. Though, though, if you are a puppeteering company and you'd like us to you know, support your, your products, that's fine. Actually, I have a bunch of puppets here. Do you have probably, puppets? Really? I, I probably have four or five puppets that we're, we'll have access to for this. So, so we're going to need a Paul Levesque puppet, a Vince McMahon puppet, definitely a George Barrios puppet, a Michelle Wilson puppet, a Stephanie I, McMahon puppet. I don't know if we need the Steph puppet. We'll, we'll probably get a Laura Martin puppet. Okay. Because we're, we're mainly doing conference calls, and uh, Steph rarely talks at them. True. Over time. Yeah. So so anyway, uh, he's, he's being asked about the possibility of, of NXT being on FS1, or at least he was being asked about, I think, in a roundabout way by Meltzer. And, he's, and Triple H said, hey, it's almost like you're trying to set me up for a great payday for an idea that I had. And he just gave this generic, we're open for business answer. Hey, everything's on the table. Do you so, think George goes to each executive and like kind of like – what is it friday night lights where it's just like clear minds open hearts whatever that thing is we're open for business yeah they just it makes each one of them say we're open for business because remember the i think what you're thinking of like remember tiger by the tail uh george barrio said it and then like a couple weeks later triple h said it yeah uh, no I, I i think uh full heart what is it full uh, clear eyes full hearts can't lose mm-hmm and and for him, it's tiger by the tail. Uh, We're open for business. <laughs> open for business. Everything's on the table. Yeah. China, India, it's the future. Mm-hmm. Land grab. All of it. It's all the Barrios bingo. Mm-hmm. So after that, he was asked about uh, the changes to W's logistics because they're going to, you know, with this new TV deal that starts in October 2019, they're not just going to be doing... Monday Raw and Tuesday SmackDown, they're going to be doing Monday Raw and Friday SmackDown because SmackDown is going to switch over to being live on Fridays on the Fox Broadcast Network. And so this was his response to uh, to talking about all that. 
this is the no look this is the logistic nightmare all all the wonderful things in the, the you know <laughs> vince will say here they're all wonderful opportunities um and they are you know and and it's the, it's, the truth is yeah we're we're changing the 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 way the shows come out right so there's a monday friday that changes everything it, it really does it changes trucks it changes routing it changes you know, the, the 21 trucks that go to TV every week, where do they go? How do they get to the next place? What is the routing differences of all? It changes everything. So we, we are in the process right now is, you know, what, look, once we knew that that deal with Fox was a done deal and here we are, okay, now we got a lot of planning to do. We're not just sitting, sitting around waiting for next October to come. We have a lot of planning to do and a lot of planning that <clears throat> it's dominoes. You know, you take it's, it, you, you move one piece and, and all the other pieces shift. So it, it will, in some ways, fundamentally change a lot of our business. And, and we have to really deeply look at that. Um, but that's a wonderful opportunity, as we talked about earlier, to say, hey, how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we reinvigorate ourselves? How do we, you know, we've always done this because because of the Monday, Tuesday situation or whatever that is. But now we have an opportunity to do something different. There'll be some huge positives to that. There'll be some things that are tough to get past. But it, it's a, you know, every now and then you get this opportunity to go, all right, like, let's just start with a blank canvas and, and see what we come up with. And, and that's kind of where we're at. And it's really So there you go. He's a, I love it when Triple H talks about opportunity. Well, you know, this makes me really sad that I don't get on these calls. Yeah. Because these are the kind of conversations I would love to have with him about because this is I, I don't know what that has to do with NXT in any way, mm-hmm. but this is exactly the sort of thing that it's it's it hits me right at home. This idea of the, the complex of logistics. And also when you think about it today, guys go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, if they're on SmackDown, or they go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if they're on Raw. So you work four days right now. In general, mm-hmm. starting on on whatever's right before television, and television is the climax. He's pointing out that for the SmackDown guys, now Friday is right there. So what well, your choice is, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and you keep doing Monday house shows, and that's the last show of the loop. Or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Because you're going to have pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Or... Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Monday. And I'd say that sometimes Monday could be, well, it's a joint show. There's not two different rosters anymore. And maybe you do need to have guys going to one or the other. Again, we're two years out. We're a year out. We don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, I, I would think you stop running Monday house shows because for, for nothing else, you're running against your own TV program. And, and the, the, the idea that you're going to do people want to go to your live event, they're going to have to miss your TV show. We know that Monday night house shows are the least attended house shows for SmackDown. We know that the one thing you can sell your company on is you've got guaranteed television money. And these live events are not part of that bucket of money for these guys. So if you can say to them, hey, I can get you home one more day a week, that might be a selling point to keeping some people. In addition, those live events are probably a headache for a lot of different people that operate, and it makes a lot of sense to me. But this this could, in a sense, be moving from four four shows a week to three shows a week, 
is what he might be implying with some of this here when you really think about it. Or Thursday shows. Yeah. Are Thursdays good nights to run shows or not? I don't know. Or is it going to be that the SmackDown guys work three nights and the uh, the 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 Raw people work four nights? Or is it going to be that maybe the house shows are mixed and the you know the television is separate? We don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can cut that. But especially when it comes to TV trucks and whatnot, a lot of those people are working other media. They do other professional sporting events, and so television moving from a Tuesday to a Friday is a big deal. Because that means that a lot of the people you want might not be available on a Friday that are right now available on a Tuesday. Yeah, and, and I'm all for wrestlers wrestling fewer dates per year uh, as long as they can make the same or more money, uh, especially when you're in a culture that's so heavy on singles matches. But if you're going to keep it the same way, Thursday night's got to be better than Monday night for a house show. I think so. I definitely think so. And and the other question would be, you know, what are you doing with your NXT brand? Does it become like the Monday nights or the uh, NXT house show or the Monday nights, the mix the NXT guys with the SmackDown guys or the Raw guys or something? And you're giving them more work and it's to season up your NXT talent more. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see that where you'd say, hey, half of you guys are off on Monday. The other half have to go work with the NXT talent on a Monday night house show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a way of seasoning them up or something. That might be kind of fun or interesting. And that would be an interesting attraction for, like, it's an NXT show, but it's got uh, main roster people that you're not used to seeing interact with uh, NXT talent and vice versa. Um, that would be my gimmick if I was trying to figure out a way to market a Monday night show. Yeah. And and, and as we've argued, we're all for um, trying to make house shows more special, more than just like, oh, WWE's in town. They're going to do their act. Well, it's astounding to me that you can't get house shows on your network, that you're already going to all these places. You're already taping in some way. You know, you're showing it on the screen. But it's always been that way. That you, you could be streaming a lot more of this and using that as a selling point. But for them, they're they're the they're the company that sells it. So it's not that valuable to them to sell it more. If they were on another streaming service. You could see why they would push it more if they were on, you know, Bleacher Report Live, the ESPN app, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you house, know, house shows don't exist. And when when you live in a society where like it, sorry, you're talking about live events. Yeah, are you talking not talking about live events? I am. They don't call them house shows anymore. Oh, sorry. When, Untelevised events. When you've got non-televised live events, and and we live in a society where it matters less and less, like where your location is in 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 relation to like what you can have access to, then you know people are going to care less and less about going to the live event. If that makes sense. But but like G one tournament, like the whole thing was streamed, right? Right. And and I do think that there's this demand where people are like, if you just even if you've given us a story, you can tell that story over many days, and we will care. Mm-hmm. But and I think their, their big hang-up is they're going to alienate the masses who need the bare-bones, dumbed-down version of it. And, oh, we have all these these parts to our story. I think they'd also say that New Japan doesn't have to put on five hours of premium television a week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else did Triple H talk about on the, uh, the conference call? I love this stuff. This is great. Yeah, so the May Young Classic was just taped on the 8th and the 9th of August, and it's going to start airing... I think he says in this clip, I believe this week, it's going to start airing. And uh, so he was asked about, like, they're, they're going to air it right after NXT, right? And if you remember last year, they released, I believe they released the first round, and then they released the uh, the quarterfinals and semifinals in two two big drops, 
right? They're not doing that this year. And uh, so they were, he was asked why and, and what's the deal with that. So I let other people figure that out. But, yeah, last year they they chose to um, to batch release it. I think it was an experiment to see how it did. I don't think it performed as well as people would like would have liked it to. You know, I, I think – well, I, I shouldn't say it didn't perform. Over the long term it did. And, and there's, a, there's a, a difference with the network because when you put something out in its original airing, how many people watch it in that moment? And then how many people consume it within three days? How many people consume it within seven days? And then there's kind of that big long tail of lifetime views, right? People will go back and, you know, I, I'm sure this year, uh, right before we air this May Young Classic, people will go back and watch last year's and, and kind of try to, oh, right, I remember this and go through it and try to catch up on last year's to get to this year. So, you know, there's a, there's a long tail to those things. So, we have a whole team of people that break down those analytics and say, let's do this, let's do that. Here's where this should sit. Here's the best lead into it. Here's how we're going to do it. You know, this year it will, um, Bracketology will start on the Wednesday, August 29th. So on the 29th, right when NXT is over, uh, that, that Bracketology will show will air, and then it will start weekly after that. And uh, the show will air weekly after NXT. It's a great lead-in. And... Um, you know, but but again, it's it's not who watches it just in that first moment. It's the three seven, and then the long tail. So, um, people with the analytics background, uh, much smarter than me, with when it comes to numbers, make those decisions, and uh, we just try to make uh, make the best content we can and put out the best cards and the best product. So, uh, where they put it is is their call. So it, they're going to start doing bracketology. Wednesday the 29th, and then the matches will start on the Wednesdays after that following NXT. But but there you go. At the, he, what, he defers what, what, to those what? smart analytical people like like yourself, Mookie. No, that's not what he said. He, he said that they're going to work on the long tail. And who have we else also heard talk about the long tail before? George Berrios. That's George's favorite phrase. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about the long tail. About basically the idea that, you know, if you look at the, the, the histogram of, of days of how many times are people attacking something, you know, watching it, it, it's that there's the long tail and that long tail there is, is why the content, it's hard to value it today because it, it's evergreen and it's going to always be consumed. But generally people want to consume it when it's fresh, mm-hmm. but then it will continue to, to reap some dividends for a long, long, long time. When, when uh, he says... Just very. When he says, um, I, I, I let other people make those decisions, who do you think he's talking about there? Is he talking about George and Michelle? Is he talking about, is, is it Tandy O'Donohue who's in charge of the analytics department? I would think very strongly it would be someone like Tandy O'Donohue who comes out and says, I think a good strategy would be this. And whoever it is that programs the WWE network and makes those decisions says, I agree with this. And then on top of that, the marketing person says, okay, here's how we would market that decision. Mm-hmm. And then they all align. And I'm totally with, with him where he says, Hey, we tried something out, we learned from it, and we're reacting. And I'm like, thank God, that's exactly what I would hope they're doing. <laughs> Which is, I have no problem with them choosing to drop them all and ask us to binge watch them. Binge watch them. Yeah. As long as they learn from that, and then they respond back to say, here's what we learned, and here's how we feel. And, you know, we had all speculated this is probably a good example of why it probably didn't make a lot of sense in the first version to do it this way. But you never know until you try. And now they have data. Now they know. And again, a lot of this sounds like they're really interested in consumption more than subscribers. You notice he didn't say anything in there about we think it's a good enticement Mm -hmm. for people to become network subscribers. 
Because he talked about, we're going to show it after NXT. It doesn't make a difference when you show it if you're not already a subscriber to the WWE Network. Mm-hmm. And so that, this that, is that, goes, that goes right along with what we learn every year in the proxies, at least the last couple of years, is that executives are bonused on a number of criteria. One of those criterion is that uh, is minutes watched on the network, right? Time time spent viewing, time that subscribers spend viewing the network, not necessarily the number of subscribers. Yeah, aggregate hours consumed, not number of subscribers, not number of subscribers per hour or number number of hours per subscriber. And though we have seen them try to game those numbers when they'll be like, it's up year over year. And you'll be like, yeah, WrestleMania was a year, was an hour yeah. longer. And, that, and that's why you watch commercials when you watch the W Network. You watch commercials for programs that are on the network that you already subscribe to. Why are you watching that? Because they want you to spend as much time as possible watching that network. Though I did get some uh, advertisements for an FX show this time. Did you? Oh, uh, when I was watching last night. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's, that's a Fox owned, Fox owned, uh, channel yeah though um fx might have been sold with uh the fox sports no sold to who or, disney? No, fox sports i'm sorry with uh to disney as as part of that that transfer i don't know if the fs network is still owned by fox is what i'm trying to get at i think it was part of the 21st century fox sale wikipedia says it is owned by 21st century fox yes but 21st century fox was sold from fox to uh, the other company, I thought. Okay. Yes, that was the sale to Disney. Okay. That's part of it. Okay. So technically, it's it's yes, it's part of Fox, but considering WWE's deals with Fox Sports, and this is an this is a uh, uh, an entity that is soon going to be owned by Disney, I wouldn't say they're actually under the same umbrella. Okay. So I just just I know it's easy to conflate the two, but I just want to be really clear. I wouldn't say that it would have anything to do with the Fox Sports deal for SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Not that you were saying that, but just yeah, yeah, I didn't say that. Yeah. Anyway. Speaking of Fox Sports. Oh. Did you want to say more on the May Young thing? I, uh, I love that. I, I, I'm all for it. But uh, we can move to the next thing, which is speaking of Fox Sports, Daniel Bryan talked to foxsports.com.au, the Australia Fox Sports, Murdoch's original yeah. The OG Fox, if you will. Yeah. Uh, what What did he have to say in that interview with Fox Sports? He was asked about his uh, whether he's going to resign with WWE, and it, you know, the article says he explained the main obstacle to his resigning was that this is the first time he has hired a lawyer to handle his contract, and uh, infamously, Vince McMahon hates lawyers. He does not want you to have a lawyer agent. Handling your contract, at least that—that's—that's that's what I've heard in, in shoot interviews or interviews with people like Goldberg and things like that, right? Uh, he said there, there's a couple things like that. Uh, how much time I get to spend with my family? This is the first time in my career ever. The thing that's taking so long with all of this is I've never heard a lawyer before to look at a contract, so this is the first time I've done it. So it just takes longer than usual. He laughs. Uh, my last contract, I think I signed in 2012. Daniel Bryan said. So then I wasn't married. Bree and I were together, but I wasn't married. So you're just trying to get all your ducks in a row, especially because I'm older and married and have a baby. Uh, it's the responsibility, and it's crazy because a lot of us as W superstars, we end up not getting lawyers to look at our contracts. We just look at it and go, oh, okay, what's this number? What's this number? Okay, fine, whatever, without reading the fine print. What do you make of that? So uh, first of all, I think I'm, I'm winning on the Will Daniel Bryan resign train. Yeah. Uh, uh, and in fact, I, I almost feel like my exact guess of why he'd resign was on point. 
I think if we go back to the show, I basically said Daniel Bryan, the bachelor, feels one way about things. Daniel Bryan, the husband, who's a father who has to be able to get guaranteed money, feels differently about these things. And that uh, that sounds very much like this what the story I'm reading here. Yeah. Now, if I could hedge, I think one 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 caveat that I that I raised was that I didn't think that W was going to let him wrestle. Now W has let him wrestle, and I thought if W doesn't let him wrestle, he's not staying. But W has obviously has has let him wrestle at this point. That's a good point. Um, I, I think most lawyers look at this contract and say this is not an independent contractor contract. And so how am I supposed to let you sign something that says you're going to do X, but is clearly Y? Do you think his lawyer will advise him to sue the WWE over no. uh, <laughs> being misclassified? No. no, I think he would say, I don't think you should sign this document here that says this. Yeah. First of all, that's number one. Number two, uh, we don't know what stemming issues might be coming from his returning to perform. Because we know that there's language in the old contract that says basically, if you are injured for a length of time, I can extend your contract for the length of time you're injured. Mm-hmm. And we don't know exactly how they're going to interpret that with his contract. Mm-hmm. We know in theory when it's supposed to be up. This article mentions September 1st. And yeah. it, it's- so, so I'm sure that's the date that he believes he is free. I What I'm saying is that if he were to not sign and if he were to say, I'm going to new Japan, I could see WWE trying to put an injunction in and say, look, we're interpreting the contract this way. We want to fight with you about it Mm -hmm. versus if you're going to sign, they don't care. They're not going to bother to fight that point anymore. They'll just start a new contract and make it effective. Mm -hmm. It's more of a negotiating thing, right? You know, it's a way to kind of keep you in the family without having, but be able to slap your hand. If you're trying to go outside the Mm -hmm. circle, Mm -hmm. So part of it is that with his lawyer, I'm sure his lawyer is also saying, hey, they interpret it as this way. And then that's a lot of work you have to do as a lawyer to try to then say, "Okay, what is the true interpretation of your old contract? What if they come back to you and say this? And so you could also imagine that a lawyer is not only looking at your new contract, but also saying, here's what I've already agreed to. And that lawyer is is putting their their face in their hands and saying, oh, my God, this is what I might have to fight with them over. Because they might say this is what you've already agreed to. That could be really tough. So I, I, what I'm trying to get at is that when you have the lawyer, it's not only the future protection, but in some ways he might also be kind of worried about what are the contingencies if they make these decisions mm-hmm. to fight me over this or that. So what do you think the range of possibilities are here? You still think Daniel Bryan's staying with the WWE? I absolutely think he's staying with WWE. I absolutely think he's going to get a sweetheart deal. I think he's going to get a deal that only requires him to work 60 times a year, 70 times a year. Mm-hmm. Which just sounds he, like just TV. Well, it could be TV or it could be um, he works, you know, one house show loop for Europe once once a quarter mm-hmm. and that he's off TV five times a week, five times a year. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he gets December off and he gets he works more for the bigger loops. Because 52 plus 12 is, is what, 64? Yeah. Or they say 70, they make him work 80, and they pay him for 80. You know, just because it, it says you, you your deal is for 70, different guys react to that different ways. Mm-hmm. Historically, you know, you have the, some guys who say, I used up my dates, I'm going home. And you have other guys that say, just pay me this much more per date. 
So you, you, you know, think like, think back to, I think we talked about it, you know, Daniel Bryan talking about, you know, his feud with The Miz and, and he was asked by an interviewer whether, you know, is this going to be at WrestleMania? And he said something to the effect of like, do you trust WWE to tell us the story well? Um, so you think even up against that, maybe not being cre- as creatively fulfilled as he might be outside of WWE, he's still going to stay. That's not a big enough weight on the scale to get him out. I think that he sounds less and less like a man that is obsessed with being the best wrestler in the world and more and more about a person who's trying to be a full, complete person that lives a life that they're satisfied with. Hmm. And because of that, I don't know if being the best wrestler in the world is his only goal. Hmm. I think also what's tough is, you know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll trick them into signing him to a short-term contract. You never know. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he'll say, hey, if I don't know where Kenny Omega is going to be in a year from now, what what good is it for me to try and figure out where I want to go? Because there's a ton of money for him to be made outside of WWE. And the one thing that we, do, we don't know and we'll probably never know is, like, what kind of money are they offering him? And uh, I think the ceiling among wrestlers around the world the ceiling for Daniel Bryan outside of WWE is really high. And as we've said, there's the value of re-signing Daniel Bryan is one, it's a lure to anyone else in the world. Because if you have Daniel Bryan, you can say, you want to wrestle Daniel Bryan, you got to come to my company. Yeah. And I used to think that that was a strong lure. I'd say that's less of a lure now. But at the same time, it's still a way of being able to protect yourself. I think they're signing him partially just to stop him from working for anyone else. Much in the same way that, you know, a Steve Austin or The Rock or something might have a wrestling contract to stop them from wrestling for someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, that a Chris Jericho would normally have a contract like that, but probably has rejected for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we we also know that, you know, Daniel Bryan, he might also have some understanding of his own limitations. Physically? Getting back into, yeah, getting back into this and doing it. And, you know, maybe there's that element where you say, oh, my God, I, I wish I could wrestle. I wish I could wrestle. And then they put you back into it and you're a couple years older and you've got a different lifestyle. And suddenly you're like, ah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be in a position where, you know, I'm outside of the company. I get injured or I get hurt or I get uh, uh, frustrated. And then, you know, no one's going to I have no safety net. Mm-hmm. My next challenge. So you don't you know, think, yeah, you know, the kind of the reputation that Dan O'Brien has of not being a, a big spender. Uh he and his wife are probably pretty well off financially, one would think, having worked for WWE as long as they have. Uh, and there's that element, too, that, like, it helps Brie a lot more if she's married to Daniel Bryan and they're on television together. Mm-hmm. But they're probably both millionaires regardless. Like, And if they're not, like, big spenders, they're, they're kind of minimalists. Do they need money? Is money really that big of a driving factor? Maybe, maybe creative satisfaction could be a bigger determining factor. Um. I, I would say that people have found ways to be creatively satisfied and rich. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's like saying, why do movie stars that are rich continue to act in the big budget films instead of just going doing indie stuff that they could do? That would be really fulfilling to them. But don't some some big, big movie stars like, yeah, they have to do the big production. But part of the deal in, in agreeing to do these big, big budget movies is they get to do the, the little artsy movies that they really want to do. Yeah. And, and, so and is there any analog? Is there I any hope Daniel Bryan? Is there I any Daniel Bryan smart? He does that. 
well, what, what, what does it, what does that look like then? You get to, you get to go work a couple takeovers. What does that mean? Well, I would you know? say you get to control a NXT territory. You get mm-hmm. to sign, you get to be the reason that we'll sign Zack Sabre Jr. You get to be the reason that, you know, William Regal has a retirement match. Hmm. I don't know. I, I do think that, you know, in some ways they would be trying to build, you know, he would be a perfect executive for WWE. Daniel Bryan? Yeah. He's a brilliant guy. Mm. He's got a good mind. He's clean cut and, and he's got a passion. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about one of the challenges we have with wrestling executives is that they're not coming in here with a passion. And a great background of knowledge of the pro wrestling industry itself. Yeah. And, and I just think it would be interesting to see a guy like that move into the next level and say, hey, you know, everyone's afraid of what's going to happen when Triple H moves here. At some point, he can't do everything, right? Yeah. But he, wouldn't it be interesting if Daniel Bryan took over NXT when Triple H moved up? That would be interesting. Yeah. So I just mean, like, there's opportunities there where I, I honestly think Bree's value to the company is so much more when she's married to Daniel Bryan and that Total Bellas can also be the, partially the Daniel Bryan show. Because mm-hmm. what, what do you do with Bree Bella if, if, if her husband's uh, working for somebody else, working for a competitor? Uh, I mean, AJ Lee's continued to work for WWE even when CM Punk had left. But what I'm saying is, like, Daniel Bryan's part of those reality shows. CM Punk never was. Um, reality show editing is an amazing thing. (laughs) That's all I can say is that, you know, you have, you can control your narrative in different ways. Suddenly then it's going to be all about Brie wants to go. Brie, Brie is with her toddler all the time and Mm. Daniel's never around and what a dick he is. I don't know what a dick he is for not re-signing with WWE. Talking about lawyers. Um, Colt Cabana sued CM Punk because of lawyer stuff. Yeah. And uh, I just want to make this thing clear because I, I keep hearing people misunderstand what this case is about. And I just want to give you my two cents on what this case is about. It's a two-part case. One is breach of contract. Two is fraud. The breach of contract is this. There was a contract. A text message from Bill Brooks, CM Punk, to Colt Cabana. That basically said, I will quote 100% cover whatever Colt's legal costs are to defend himself against the Dr. Amen lawsuit. Mm-hmm. At the time it was a complaint letter and then it became a lawsuit. This was a contract because it had its parts. It had one, a promise. I will defend you. I will cover those fees Two, an acceptance Colt acknowledging it. And three, a consideration. And this is the big one. A consideration means it's an offer to do something positively, maybe even to your own detriment. There's a strong argument that Colt Cabana detrimentally acted, had a detrimental reliance on Phil Brooks' assurance that he would cover the legal costs. Because Colt Cabana could have said, yes, I'm going to take down the podcast. Yes, I'm going to go work with Dr. Amon's lawyers and whatever they need to make this go away, I will go away. Yes, I will settle this lawsuit immediately. And he did not do that because he was relying. This is the argument he's making in the there. I, you know. I can't speak to Colt Cabana's true state of mind, but uh, the argument he's making is that he did not do that because he believed Phil Brooks, CM Punk, would cover his legal fees. Mm-hmm. However, they got to a point where in April 2016, Phil Brooks 
texts Scott Colton and says the outstanding fees are his to pay and he's on his own and he owes half of them. And so basically May 5th, Colt Cabana, Scott Colton says, hey, I'm going to go get a separate attorney. And instead, Brenner, Sonny Brenner, CM Punk's attorney, tells Colt Cabana, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, quote, despite your unwillingness to contribute to your own legal fees or to your legal fees, and Punk is willing to continue to cover your legal costs as long as there's not a conflict between uh, you two, Colton Punk, in their legal positions that prevents me, Sonny Brenner, the lawyer, from ethically and fairly representing you. So Colt Cabana does not engage separate counsel at this time. This is May 2016. March 2017. Scott Colton, Colt Cabana, is informed that Loeb and Loeb is withdrawing as their counsel and they and alleges that CM Punk forced the firm to do this. So he engages his own lawyer. He needs a lawyer to finish this thing out. So he engages engages Kerry Stein. Kerry Stein becomes Colt Cabana's lawyer, Scott Colton's lawyer. And, and real quick, so what you're saying is in March 2017, CM Punk told his lawyers, "I'm we're, I don't want you guys to represent Colt Cabana anymore in this in this case." What we know is in March of 2017. Colt Cabana gets a letter saying that Loeb and Loeb is not going to be his counsel anymore. And that's Punk's representation. He alleges in the lawsuit that Punk forced them to do this. Hmm. The letter does not say that. Hmm. The letter does not straight up say that that is what's going to happen. But that's what he's alleging in it. Hmm. So he engages Kerry Stein. And Kerry Stein amasses about $200,000 in cost for them to go from March 2017 through June 2018. That's the full cost of that successful defense. So the, the lawsuit is over $200,000 because that's how much Colt Cabana spent on legal fees that he believed were going to be covered by CM Punk. So it has nothing to do with CM Punk's legal fees, half of that amount. That's not what this is. This is Scott Colton's legal fees, his portion he covered outside of CM Punk's lawyer. That is the breach of contract, and that is why it is a, a contract. I know some people are like, is a text message really a contract? In this situation, it would be interpreted that way. At least that's what he's uh, alleging. The second one is fraud. He's saying, one, uh, uh, Punk knew Colt would comply with the demand letter, and therefore he made a false promise to deter cooperation with the council. Two, uh, uh, CM Punk caused Sonny Brenner to represent he would continue to cover the legal fees to prevent a substitution of counsel. And to prevent him from cooperating with Eamon. And three, Colt alleged that Punk did not intend to honor the representation and agreements. And he did deliberately with the intention to harm him. And that's fraud. That's malice. That's oppression. And that's where the, the $1 million of damages is also coming in. Hmm. So let me see so if that, I've got this straight. When, uh, when, when Eamon makes his complaint, Somewhere, sometime after that, Punk says he's going he's to cover. Well, they send a demand letter. So the demand letter is, in a sense, that's the the notice of violation. Like you're, you, from what I understand, you're not really in life in trouble for what you're doing until someone sends a demand letter and you ignore it. Because hmm. they told you to stop doing it, they informed you, "I'm a rights holder, I'm a whatever. You need to stop doing what you're doing." And then you have a choice: do you do you change your behavior or not? So Cabana they chose. So Cabana doesn't comply with that, that demand letter, but he does it because 
Punk reassures him that he's going to cover him legally for whatever whatever happens here. Yeah, and and that's the allegation is okay. that basically he did not comply because he believed Punk was going to cover his legal okay. costs. So perhaps and, Cabana could have avoided the the this avoided being sued entirely if he would have complied with with Eamon's demand letter. And, and that's exactly what the fraud count says yeah. is that he would have complied with the demand letter, but okay. Punk gave a quote false promise to deter him too. So, so, and then in March 2017, uh, Punk's lawyers tell Cabana that they're no longer representing him in this and he's going to have to get his own lawyers. So he does. Well, that, that costs a lot of money and he's suing Punk for that as well. The money that it costs to represent himself. Yes. So it's, so he's suing for the money that he spent out of pocket himself or he accrued. We don't know if he actually spent this money. Hmm. The lawyer, oh, it, it's the same lawyer who's filing this case. Yeah. So we don't – that's punk spending. Now, what amazes me is that by May of 2016, CM Punk had already had outstanding bills over half a million dollars. And that's two years before this thing wraps up. So it was an expensive case for CM Punk. And no, Amen is not someone they're going to sue to get this money back. Two – I don't think Loeb and Loeb can represent Punk in this case. That's where Sonny Brenner's from, and that's where the people that actually uh, did the trial with him are from. I don't think they can represent him in this case because they represented both guys. So Punk's going to need different lawyers to fight this. I think so, because I think I think that it would be considered a conflict of interest because from the beginning of the case through March of 2017, technically the law firm represented both people. Yeah, and so the idea that they could, you know. In, without a conflict of interest be involved, they, they probably just made the decision to stay out. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I actually need to check to see whether or not um, Punk has said who is going to represent him yet. But the very same lawyer who represented Cabana in the Eamon trial could represent Cabana in this case against Punk. Because that lawyer never represented Punk. Mm -hmm. So th there's not a there's not a, a conflict there as far as, as one would, would be worried. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what's interesting is David Bixen's band did pull or get a copy of all the exhibits and the original like Chicago Tribune article only had one of the exhibits and David was able to get Bix was able to get all the others. And so one of them is really interesting. And that's the, um, uh, that's the agreement letter about basically what was he agreeing to sign for who's going to pay for things. So this is from March 3rd, 2015, and sent to, to CM Punk and Scott Cole Cabana. And it basically says, we're going to be the ones to represent you. Our firm's fees, uh, we I cost $725 an hour. I think these people might help you out. And then later on, it says down here, um, uh, Phil will still be responsible for the payment of our fees and expenses. And we reserve the, light, the right to look to Phil for payment in full for our fees. And at the very beginning here, we says, we will bill Phil for all the legal services, Phil being Philip Brooks, CM Punk. Mm -hmm. So they're very, very clear that CM Punk is the one paying for this and that the only thing that might happen, uh, the only thing that, that might happen is that Scott, his insurance, if, if uh, Colt Cabana had insurance, maybe they would they'd go after the insurance company for some money. Like insurance then, on his podcast? Well, I think they just mean – I think it's the general letter that they send out. 
So if you're hurt in an accident and you're going to sue someone, they might say, I might also go after your insurance company to take some of these bills off our hands. It's just the general letter saying that if you have insurance, it's possible some of this will be covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. um, at the very end here, they do mention uh, arbitration and costs. And it says, we look forward to a long and mutually productive relationship with you. However, if you ever become dissatisfied, bring that to our attention immediately. And um, I'm sorry, number 14 area is, is the joint representation waiver. As you know, we will be representing both of you in the Amen lawsuit. While such joint representations are unusual, the rules of professional conduct, which apply to attorneys, require us to obtain your consent to such joint representation and advise you of certain consequences representing from the representation. For example, although we are not aware of any conflict that pre presently exists between the two of you, the potential for such conflict exists. <laughs> if an actual conflict were to arise in the future, we may not be able to continue to represent Scott in the, uh, the Amen lawsuit. So they, they make it very clear at the end here that yes, we might drop Colt Cabana as a, as someone in this case, if we think that there's a conflict that we cannot resolve. Mm -hmm. And so that does raise the question of when Colt Cabana agreed to this, did he know that there was always a case that his legal fees would not be paid through Loeb and Loeb? And therefore, was he right to still assume that, that CM Punk would continue covering all his legal fees? Or was CM Punk really just saying, I'd cover only the legal fees that I'm incurring as part of our joint defense? Mm -hmm. So that's a, a question mark. And I can see where some people might seize on that and say, well, he should have known. But I, I do very much agree that there was a detrimental reliance here, that CM Punk was able to influence the way that Colt Cabana chose to act because Colt Cabana believed he had certain assurances. And that it would have ended up very differently for Colt Cabana, how he would have resolved this thing, in theory, had he chosen to act a different way if he thought he was going to have to pay these bills. Mm -hmm. So it will be very interesting to see what, what happens with this. Um, I was just looking at the uh, the new website for uh, Cook County here. I was going to do a quick search to see whether or not they've actually filed anything else to say who the, uh, who the, the attorney for CM Punk is going to be. Um, I know that... There was an affidavit filed a after um, the day after uh, the original complaint, and so that's always a possibility that there was something in an affidavit that might be interesting. Um, looking up here, it's case number two thousand eighteen L 008534 and pulling it up right now, and all I see is that yeah, there was an affidavit filed the day after the original filing on the seventh. So we don't have anything new here about this case, but I thought it was an interesting case for sure. And I hadn't talked about it on the free podcast. So I just wanted to get it out there. So I see a lot of people misunderstanding that Okabana is not suing over the five, $500,000 divided by two, that discussion. He's suing over the $200,000 he incurred between March of 2017 and the end of the trial. Mm -hmm. um, lastly, uh, Double J in a lawsuit uh jeff jarrett sued anthem uh because of global force wrestling stuff he did a copyright infringement act lawsuit in a u.s court district court of tennessee i think it's the middle district and said you know that you violated the state and federal trademarks you violated uh jarrett's exclusive property rights to his own name photograph and likeness 
that you are doing an imitation of the Global Force Wrestling and GFW trademarks, that you are doing unfair competition with the intent to deceive the public. Yes. That goods and services offered by the defendants are made, approved by, sponsored by, or affiliated with Global Force Entertainment. Uh, that that there's basically that engaged in interstate commerce uh, to confuse people about the GFW and uh, that's that right. Is in fact, you're you're trying to tell everybody that you're GFW, but you're not. Only yeah. only Double J has the Global Force gold. And that the GFW DVDs are being sold, that you can go to their website and you can watch the Amped programming. That's right. And so uh, what also gets in here, which is probably the bigger part of why is this lawsuit happening, is this agreement that basically Jeff Jarrett became a consultant with Anthem in January of 2017, gave them the masters of his GFW things, signed a deal in May 2017 to become the chief creative officer for Anthem Wrestling as well as an agreement regarding a merger for Anthem to acquire Global Force Entertainment, including ownership of the GFW Amped content. That merger was announced by Anthem. However, uh, Jarrett took a leave of absence in September 2017, and then he was let go the following month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm getting a lot of the summary here, article that Mike Johnson wrote on PWI Insider. I want to make make that clear that I'm, I'm using his content right now as i say this and mm-hmm. so he did a bit of summarizing this uh if you are a wrestlenomics patron supporter uh of the ten dollar or higher level um we have a lot of documents up there and yes there's lots of lawsuits on this that you can also get access to to um see and all these different things like these filings we have and if you go to the document that i have uh done every week for what the wrestlenomics episode's about we include links to for instance, the lawsuit here. You can see all of it. I pulled it off the pacer to look at it this year. Uh, and it's an interesting case. I, I think it's honestly a lot more of a fight about that, about Jeff Jarrett basically being promised a job and then losing the job and then trying to find a way to get Anthem to uh, pay him money back. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lot of it. There was obviously a non-disclosure agreement from December of 2016 that is is obviously being disclosed. Does it say anything in there about the, they're naming their OTT service Global Wrestling Network, which sounds a lot like Global Wrestling Feder or Global Force Wrestling? You know, there is a lot of talk in here about um, the trademarks being very close. Uh, I don't know if they actually make a big deal about Global Wrestling Network being confusing with Global Force Network. Okay. Um, I guess they, they do mention uh, that they shouldn't be doing Global Force Wrestling, Global Force Things, Logo, anything similar, including but not limited to Global Force, Global Wrestling Network, GWN, and the GWN logo. So I guess in theory they're saying that, yes, they would have to shut the GWN down if they were successful. Or because rebrand that, it? That that is confusing to people. That they would have to rebrand it, not shut it down, right? You know, they, they the the way Mike writes it here, he says they'd have to suspend the operations. Um, Why can't they just rebrand it? Well, I don't know if it's because that they would say that they've already been distributing this content. I would always say that you should be able to just stop distributing the content and pay damages. Hmm. So that would be my normal thought in the situation. So I would agree. Rebranding and paying damages for the content you illegally distributed would probably be what I would think would be reasonable. And, and I understand like the amped episodes that were on gwn have been pulled yeah and and at the same time he he makes the point that there's irreparable harm and a loss of goodwill and it cannot be completely remediated uh so his his argument i think would be 
you're you've so sullied my name that even rebranding your service is not enough for me. <laughs> Obviously, it's a a you know it's a tactic, and uh, it'd be very interesting to see what they do. Jeff it's Jarrett's like name has been sullied, and he sullied. wants he wants reparations. So that's where we stand with the Double J lawsuit. Uh, again, something I'm going to be tracking over the next weeks here. Uh, other people are tracking as well. So that's a big deal. Uh, interesting to see, you know, Jarrett make friends with WWE and be on the, the outs again with uh, Impact. Uh, no big surprise there, I guess. We, we should have seen it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, uh, there was this interesting article on ESPN all about intergender wrestling. Um, very long piece. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I did not read all of it. I skimmed it. It is written by it's on ESPNW. It's written by Holly Grossman. Interesting piece, uh, very long, very very uh, in depth, looking at a lot of indie wrestling going on with intergender matches. But at one point, uh, they mentioned specifically uh, a line, and uh, maybe you can find the line. I'll look for it really quickly. Exactly seventy eight thousand one hundred and thirty three tickets were sold. In, in, it says the Mercedes-Benz Superdome is a cavernous, and as the thermostat dips into the low 60s, the men and women, in roughly equal proportions, and children, thousands of them, in parentheses, lean forward, waiting for the show to start. Exactly 78,133 tickets were sold. As And as Rusev days ring out from the upper decks, the assembly feels charged. Raucous. Raucous. Um... It's mostly dark, save for the towering. Hundreds of feet high, fluorescent pink and orange and green Mardi Gras mask at the top of the runway. There are no windows here, but if there were, the vista beyond would reveal a river of humanity flowing through the streets of New Orleans, spilling into crevices and cracks of the city and making its way to this mecca. (laughs) WrestleMania 34 might as well be the center of the universe. Oh my goodness. I did not read that whole paragraph when I started until now. <laughs> My goodness. They also refer to it as WWE's annual Super Bowl meets people visit meets Comic-Con spectacle. Okay. <laughs> our, our, our main concern here, though, is the, the 78,133 uh, tickets were sold. This is, this is uh, we're kind of, um, you know, being uh, pedantic here. But uh, 78,133 tickets were not sold to WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans at Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Stadium, right? Not Dome. Uh, we, we know the range is, is what? Superdome. Superdome. We know the range is what? Do you recall? I'm, 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 I thought you were going to have scrambling, this I'm scrambling here. to open the sheet here. Yes, I was going to say, I thought you had this at the, your fingertips ready to go. You found a much narrower range than I did because you did the math properly. Um, but, yes. but, but, uh, it's loading. We'll, 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 we'll get to it within seconds here. Well, I'm uh, pulling up your, pay, your, your spreadsheet. I got, I got about, about 60,000 tickets were sold. And that was my range too. It was about 60,000. Yeah. The, the difference between our ranges, Brandon, is that if we assume that they, the number that they use, like the 900 differential has mm-hmm. to also round to the right number that lowers the amount you're able to go up and down. I, I, I know there are facts. I just don't understand what they are at the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, uh, you can listen to our subscriber show. Go to WrestleLogs.com. Yeah, go ahead. What, what's on that show? What are we going to be talking about on that one? We are going to talk about it. In fact, we may have already recorded us talking about 
Mookie's sports rant. Mookie went to a Minnesota Vikings game. He has some uh, some takes. He has some thoughts. Yeah, I think the pure sports fans in our audience are going to enjoy Mookie's take on how to uh, make football more entertaining. But but more importantly, within our, our usual territory, we talk about wrestling. Esvod Services uh, Pivot Share has been acquired. Uh, some things are happening with Twitch, which of course is an Amazon-owned business. Uh, and I, I looked through some similar web uh, numbers. We looked uh, we looked at some Alexa rankings that Lavi pulled up. Uh, we talk about Harold May and his, his statement to talking about his involvement at the G1 Climax final night. We go through this uh, 2008 Japanese wrestling article. It's, we've, we've, it's not even an article. It's a paper. It's it, is like a, it, it is a giant PDF analyzing. and charts. And, and uh, we didn't even go into it. Off air, Brandon was, was legit reading the characters out loud. Yeah. And then – it was it was kind of hilarious because he's like, I'm not sure what company this is. And then he'd read the characters and he would basically say zero one in mm-hmm. Japanese. Yeah, Mookie Mookie was very impressed with my Japanese pronunciation that I was doing earlier as I was squinting and then looking at these at these graphs, trying to read them in, in the katakana. We got Shinihon Pures, Noah, and Pancras Pan Pancras, Michinoku Pro, and zero one zero one. <laughs> hustle, uh, hustle. We, yeah, we, we, it t- took me much longer than that to determine exactly what those meant, but we figured it out. Kakutogi, which is MMA combat sport. Yeah, and then uh, we, we even we even have a take on the hot hot angle of the week with uh, a newsletter writer getting into a fight with a WWE superstar. Mm. So uh, we have a whole yeah. whole little discussion about that at the end of the show. So uh, if you are interested, in, go to wrestlenomics.com. They'll bring you to the patron site. It's five dollars a month. And uh, once again, we'll be recording live at All In Weekend, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Stick around after that, 11.30 to 1 is going to be a Voices of Wrestling section with Rich Krejci. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're, we're part of all of that. It's kind of mixed together into one mega block. And that's going to be at the, the Hyatt Regency in Schamburg, Illinois. We're going to be staying at the Hyatt uh, Place in Schamburg. And so if you're coming for All In Weekend, be sure to reach out to us at WrestleMomics at WrestleMomics G- gmail.com however it is smoke screen smoke smoke signal signal yeah yeah just not slack or discord that's a little too advanced for me right now yeah it's snapchat Mookie's not on snapchat i don't think are you you know snapchat i do it i did have a snapchat account at one time Mm. i deleted the app i think okay Uh, so so people can snapchat you you're gonna you're gonna go on instagram later and and post the the uh the screen cap of your uh your snapchat code so people can start following you there I do not care for Snapchat. I don't like the idea of things that disappear. When you're a wrestling archivist, it, it annoys you to see something like Snapchat. Because you're like, this is gone forever! No! Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I can smell some food being cooked for, for lunch or dinner here, so oh. I'm going to get going to that. All right. uh, Brandon, uh, hope your wrestling adventures turn out well. And uh, you ever want to talk to us, uh, hit us up on Twitter or on email. Or, as always, on MySpace. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye. Bye-bye.